welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 245 at part one of my conversation with the director of bands at Fisk University in Tennessee, percussion educator and performer, Thomas Spann Jr. Let's get right to it. I had contacted Thomas some months before we actually did connect, and it was after I had interviewed Javon Milford his fellow classmate from Benedict University in South Carolina, that Javon got in touch with Thomas and told him to get in touch with me. Sure enough, a couple of days later, I get a call from Thomas and we reconnect. We don't necessarily talk about this during either part of this interview, but Thomas, like Javon, was a student all those many years ago when I gave the recital clinic at Benedict. So reestablishing that connection was a lot of fun. Thomas has been based in Nashville since his time working and learning at Tennessee State under his former teacher at Benedict and my classmate from UNCG, Dr. Sean Daniels. He's been active as a drum set performer in a wide range of styles and venues and has been teaching in the Nashville community through the Creative Soul Music School for a while there also. As mentioned, he's also the director of bands at the HBCU, Fisk University, resurrecting that marching band program from a two-decade absence. Attempting to do all of that in a pandemic has been quite a journey, so we'll get to all of that here. It will become clear that Thomas was very excited to get a chance to tell his story, and there was a lot to cover, so this will be split up into two parts. Today in part one, you'll get to hear what he's doing now in Nashville and his growing up in eastern South Carolina. On part two, you'll get the rest of the story. So here we go. We recorded this portion of the podcast over Zoom on May 17th, 2021, and it begins right now. So Thomas, give me a summation of your percussion activities as they are at this time. At this time, cussing activities, I play a whole lot in the city of Nashville, and I teach a whole lot of uh, drum set lessons here in the, in the city of Nashville, Tennessee. So right now, currently, uh, I teach for Creative Soul Music Academy, uh, drum set lessons to students from the ages of four to uh, to adult, adult ages uh, at Creative Soul Music Academy. Currently, are doing virtual lessons. Uh, because of the pandemic, we want to make sure that everybody's healthy and safe. Uh, so we're operating from the comfortability of home or wherever they, the student is, whether they're at home or at school or at another facility. And for us, we're at the studio teaching at the studio or teaching from our, our studio at home uh, as far as uh, lessons with Creative Soul. With Fisk University, uh, it's a hybrid. So I've been doing partly uh, teaching virtually through Zoom. And for both schools, we do the Zoom platform. And also uh, with FIS in person, you know, we can have, could, uh, this year we only could have up to 15 students in a in a classroom. Uh, so that worked out fine because we had, had a smaller amount of students that were on campus. So I could really teach my cousin students then and there because it wasn't a lot. A lot of students there was, you know, versus 20 percussion players uh, versus two or three that's on campus. It was much easier to get to 
uh, the instrument and not having to worry about, oh, we got social distance, all 20 students. Uh, and we really couldn't do 20 in person anyway. We uh, only could do up to 15 students. But this year has been real interesting because usually I have a, 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 a percussion line, drum line of, you know, 10 to 12 students on campus. Uh, this year, that 10 to 12 went down to about two students that were on, really three, three students that were on campus uh, in person. Everybody else was at home um, taking classes and everything virtually just to be safe and not, uh, you know, catch anything as far as COVID or whatnot. Uh, people, you know, getting vaccinations are currently about to get vaccinations right now. Uh, but it's been an interesting ride, man, with percussion, because, you know, we are hands-on. We play with our hands. Yeah. We use our hands uh, for percussion. So we have to be, you know, there's certain things that uh, that I was doing with virtual that if I was in person, I can show that five-year-old, hey, don't hold the sticks like this. I need you to hold the sticks like that. Mm-hmm. So I had to demonstrate that, like how I'm doing this on video, hold the sticks this way, turning my hands a certain way, getting in position in front of the camera and showing them this and showing them the, uh, with the camera how to play a certain drum beat, how to sit down on the drum set. So there's been a lot of tech, tech, technology has been the biggest thing that a lot of us educators been leaning towards uh, to teach percussion. Uh, and you know, Pete, teaching percussion, you got to be in person, man, because if, if that hand is... That arm is going way up here trying to play uh, on the snare drum or playing on marimba or timpanis or bass drum. It's going way up here mm-hmm. and the student's not doing the correct technique. They can end up hurting themselves or getting a sound that you don't want out of the instrument. So that piece, I will say that I miss a whole lot uh, with my, my drum set students at Creative Soul Music Academy being in person. I really miss that a whole lot. So we'll, uh, hopefully, when things lift up, we'll be back in person in the fall. Cussing at, at Fish University, uh, I have the best of both worlds. So I can teach that student and say, hey, man, nah, I want you to hold the stick this way because we could meet partly in person. So that's been a big help to be able to do that in person with those cussing students, showing them how to play five surf roll to a R&B tune like SOS, mm-hmm. uh, playing to a... Uh, uh, London Bridge are playing to uh, Wale, mm-hmm. uh, playing at two and four, how I wanted to slam right. with the horn, with the tuba players and everything. How I want them to shake their head while they're playing. Mm-hmm. And all yeah, the yeah. visuals stuff mean something, man. Yeah. But that was fun to do that. This is year one, uh, really officially, with bringing back marching band uh, to Fish University. Uh, uh, so that's been an interesting ride so far, being the director of bands and percussion mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time uh, has been interesting uh, for 2020. So a couple of things to, to ask you. One is that, you know, the, the, the one thing you hadn't mentioned, but is also really, really, well, you kind of mentioned it, but in terms of the, the video portion is the problem with, with the sound that like sound Ooh. comes out, like, you know, it's going to be above the, the levels um you, and so it's like it's really you know. like you can fix like you can visually fix hands right but the sound quality is the thing that you're you're missing the yes. most the sound quality has been the biggest hurdle for yeah. all virtual lessons and auditions i'm currently auditioning students for the marching band 
And I have to tell them before we start our audition, can you go to your settings and click on original sound? Yeah. Can you go to press sounds? Can you unclick that so we can hear your original sound? Because uh, a lot of them are using their phones. So we don't right. know if they have an iPhone or have an uh, Android. Uh, so when Bias tell them to use those settings, it helps us to hear them play the five-stroke role. And normally what I tell students, if you're going to play, I need you to play on the drum pad. Mm-hmm. Because or put a towel over the drum or something, because I'm not going to hear all of that. Those right. overtones and stuff is going to be cut, cutting out of the recording when we're doing the auditions. I'm doing the actual lesson because and, and that, yes, sound has been the biggest hurdle for us uh, trying to in drum set. They be playing. You see them playing it, right? And that's all you ah do do. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, Thomas's hands are moving, by the way, the whole time he's doing that. <laughs> right, especially with a five sounds year old yeah. or a 10 year old. You're teaching a 10 year old how to play drums. You're telling them about original sound and settings. Yeah. You got to, Mom, Dad, can you come in here and help me? So you got to call Mom and Dad to come and help to, to set it up the correct way, man. Uh, so that's been the ongoing thing for all of us uh, trying to, and I'm pretty sure what you're doing, teaching your students, you're getting that same thing. It, I'm, the sound's cutting out. I can't hear you. Can you go to the settings and do click on original sound? So that's been a big battle. And really, I, I've been having to learn how to be an audio engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of us have. Learning for how sure. to be an audio engineer, man. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that I, I, yeah, totally agree. The thing that I've, I've, um, like whenever I play music and in, in a, because in a, a lot of my stuff was online this uh, semester, just that like I had nothing in person because the classes were too large. But the, um, wow. but the, the, uh, like I, if I was playing music clips, I basically told students they had to send me the clips mm-hmm. because they're, because I, at least I'm at school and I can more or less trust the, the Wi Fi. Um, whereas if they're in like at their apartment and they're, or they're in the middle of nowhere, it's going to cut out. And I already know this is going to happen. Basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the best way. And, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's been a, uh, 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 a thing that I've been putting into my curriculum is telling them to send a video via, uh, YouTube unlisted video. Yeah or just a clip that they recorded on their phone. They can send it via Google Drive or right. retransfer, uh, Dropbox. Yeah. Uh, but the easiest way, has, I've, I've been seeing a lot of students send to Google Drive and also do YouTube. You know, they load up their video on YouTube as an unlisted video, a uh, private link that, that we have access to. Uh, and that, that way we can hear exactly what they're playing, exactly yeah. what they're doing. Every piece of it, and it does not bleed out. And, and, and you know, and I tell them, if you got to do another tape, do another tape. You know, if you got to do three takes, do three takes. But we just need a video submission of what you worked on. I need Anthony Sarone, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alrighty. <laughs> right. You know, please record that on this week. So you just give me examples. Like, can you record you playing uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire? Uh, 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 you know, uh, this this song that song number one on the track. Mm-hmm. Let me hear. Uh, let me hear September. 
right. played on drum set and, and having to record that. So that's been a, a big help to have them do the video submissions. Uh, and we're using also students now, they're so into social media as well with TikTok and Instagram, Facebook. So I've been using social media a little bit as well to give them assignment to do. For example, hey, create an Instagram uh, with with your with an uh, avatar mm-hmm. and a name or something like, you know, drum vibes with so-and-so. And I need you to submit a, you know, a story or a uh, post of you playing. Mm-hmm. Anthony Cerrone, number one, you know, something like that along those lines, uh, doing something on TikTok. Uh, they're playing something on, on, on along those lines because that's what they really gravitate to more. So the video submissions is cool, uh, but we've been doing a little bit with social media just because that's just where we are now currently. Uh, that's, that, you know, like I saw something on Instagram. They were promoting HBCUs. Mm-hmm. And they had some, you know, hip hop music playing in the background. They showed a picture of uh, Archie Band and mm-hmm. Fish University. Um, that's that's just the day and age that we're in. We have to. I've been finding that uh, my former teachers too are also having to adapt to the norm now that you know technology is really taking over, and we have to utilize Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. We're figuring out ways. How can we utilize social media? in in an uh, educational sense in our curriculum because it's just, just one of those things. I, I, I want to give a shout-out to one of those people that do that with his students, Lalo, uh, 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 Professor Lalo at MTSU. Yeah, He loves doing happy birthday uh, to, to, to people that's in the community and people that he knows that, that's musicians and educators and music. and uh, But he has his students playing a happy birthday song and it's never the same <laughs> on Facebook. Nice. But so uh you know Lalo if you're hearing this thank you for telling me happy birthday uh in your own way. <laughs> yeah. But that was real cool what he did. He used Facebook and they were students were in class and one of the students was on a piano doing the drum beat. He was saying happy birthday is rapping happy birthday to me. But he did that for several other educators and musicians so lalo is already on to it many others they're on to using social media as an educational tool uh, for for their students to play maybe they learn a latin salsa and they play a latin salsa to happy birthday song uh maybe they did something a drum line groove and the drum line is out playing on on facebook doing something but that's those fun things like that keep the students engaged and to being in the studio and wanting to come back and taking more lessons and graduating as well <laughs> right. from the university, man. Uh, but we, we, you know, I've been finding that, you know, students are really, they're more into uh, Twitter and, and TikTok and Facebook. Uh, I wasn't hip to TikTok at, at the time, but my, 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 my students, my young students at the summer camp I, I teach at during the summer and my fishing diversity students, they got me on TikTok. Yeah. I would got me a TikTok account and started doing some marching drum stuff. Uh, I've, I've done a couple of clips doing marching snare drum cadences and I would play to music. So, uh, you know, I attribute that to uh, 
uh, Harvey A. Thompson and mm-hmm. Ralph Nick, uh, who real big on that with the bring you on, bring your own uh, style, BYOS. Yeah. Uh, they have a YouTube channel. So I've been kind of, you know, I've been hip to what they've been doing. I've been seeing them do that for years since 2012, 2013, when we went to PASIC, uh, when I was at Tennessee State University. Uh, we got to see them live, in effect, playing the tracks and playing snare drum and tossing the sticks in the air and all that, you know, doing their thing. Now, it's a thing now. Now, right. when I go to PASIC, you you may see a booth or a actual performance of Harvey, uh, Harvey A. Thompson and Ralph Nader with, uh, with other notable martial percussion educators, man. Uh, and this is all on Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok, and you know, people are doing those things. So that that we we have to we're adapting to the now uh, for percussion with technology and social media, man. So we have to uh, move to those times, man. And things are moving so fast; things change. Uh, you know, things are being content is being put up every second of the day. I want to ask about um, Creative Soul. The is this your is this your thing? You did this with someone else. How long has it been going on um, in Nashville? I'm glad you asked. Creative Soul Music Academy is a a, a music school uh, headed directed by Gerald Jenkins, and Gerald Jenkins is a songwriter, uh, artist, educated himself, um, and he caters to the community uh, here in Nashville. We have students from the age of like three, four years old taking. Uh, lessons with drum set, percussion, piano, vocals, guitar, horns, uh, uh, you name it, they, they're playing, you know, they, they're, uh, and we cater it to more more towards popular music styles. So, for example, we may have a student that come in and say, hey, I want to learn to play piano, but I want to play for my, I want to be able to play uh, piano for my church mm-hmm. with the children's choir. Yeah. So they may couple of tunes that they come in and went say, hey, I got to learn Hezekiah Walker, uh, all I need. And then I got to learn this Donald Lawrence tune, The Blessing of Abraham. So we cater the lessons towards them learning how to play in a church setting and not only play the song, but they learn the scales, how to play the scales, musical scales. For me, if it's a drummer, I'm teaching them how to play rudiments and play time with quarter notes and eighth notes with the song. So I'm having them count one and two and three and four and along with the song playing in the background. Uh, Whether it's Hezekiah Walker or uh, Donald Lawrence or uh, Pop Smoke uh, Mm -hmm. for hip hop or J. Cole. They want to do something like that along those lines. We can teach that too. Uh, But Creative Soul is a a collaborative of of musicians and uh, there are educators that are in the music industry like myself. Gerald is in the music industry. He was, uh, 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 still is. He still does rap and hip-hop, but he's currently doing a lot more uh, R&B right now. His current name is G-Star. Uh, and amongst that, we have others like Brandon Newsom, who's played for C.C. Winans, plays percussion, our other percussion uh, player. He's currently came out with something with uh, Rick Ross, played percussion on uh, a track with Rick Ross. And he did something with Pete Rock as well. DJ Pete Rock uh, has a new album out. So Brandon Newsom is on the team with us at Creative Soul. And we have David Raglan, who teaches vocals. Uh, and we have a couple of others that have came along the way, uh, like Jonathan Smoke, uh, uh, Lucas, who's a drummer and DJ producer here. 
in town. Uh, and some of the other guys that play with us, like uh, Robert, Robert uh, Kurt Kirsten plays bass, plays for Big and Rich. Uh, so these guys, you know, we uh, catered to the students and helped them out. William Davenport, guitarist, uh, artist here in town. I've played with um, numerous times and songwriter as well. He teaches guitar at Creative Soul. Uh, but these guys, we all work in the industry. We have recorded with people um, and work with people in the music industry. We currently are working in the industry. Uh, all of us are doing things. Uh, you know, you know, Brandon, Brandon and, and, and Robert would be uh Kiriton, Rob would be the more more famous ones. They they got the Grammys <laughs> in the bunch, man. I, I'm just trying to I, I'm just riding, I'm on, on for the ride, man. Yeah. You know, doing different things for people, man, uh soundtracks for movies and stuff. So it's been, you know, a great ride so far with Creative Soul. But that that's used uh that school is catered towards more popular music style. Um, R&B, soul, gospel, jazz, uh, pop music, rock music um, as well. We have a couple of students that like pop rock, so we have them perform. Uh, and then we do a recital, um, usually do a recital in fall and in the summer and do like a winter uh, recital as well. So we're planning right now currently to do a summer series mm-hmm. with our students. Uh, it's going to be an outside event. Uh, we have an outside venue outside of the, the academy, a stage in um, Outback uh, that we've been doing summer series shows that um, past summer that we did outside. So we, people could social distance and everything and still enjoy themselves uh, outside. So we have that as, as well going on for people that are artists and, and students. Uh, we're going to do that this summer with them to be able to perform with these same people um, and some others. We, you never know it's going to be on stage. Right. Uh, you never know. Uh, like I, I walked into uh, Creative Soul one day. Uh, I had a student that I had to, you know, work with, and uh, Jill Scott walks in the door. <laughs> <laughs> just, and I'm just, looking just like, around. <laughs> um, like you're Jill Scott. What's going on right Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of her on the on the wall, <laughs> and she's here in person. Right. And. She came there. Somebody referred her to us mm-hmm. and she wanted her, her son to take piano lessons with us. So there's a clip of her um, at one of the recitals that he played at. And we were recording and she passed by the camera and she waved <laughs> and moved out the way. Yeah. You know, she didn't perform, but uh-huh. we did perform one of her songs. One of our drum set students performed one of her songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, standing ovation, she's clapping and, you know, proud to hear them and do their thing. And, of course, she's proud of Jet, her son, mm-hmm. playing piano. Uh, a song that she did on, on one of the records that she did, like a rendition of uh, Lovely Day. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to do one of, mother's, one of the songs his mom did, a Bill Withers tune yeah, on yeah. stage. She's sung that plenty of times, man, but, you know, it's to play for Jill Scott's son, that you know, it's an honor to play for all the students, man. It's an honor to play for them. Yeah. Uh, but you know, to see that, uh, you know, I met her and was introduced to her. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I was at first starstruck, but eventually, you know, I was like, she's a person like me. She's regular, <laughs> regular person. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to meet her and work with her, her, her son, play with him on stage. That was real cool. His son is a, his father is a well-known drummer. Mm. Um, little John Roberts. 
uh, who plays for Janet Jackson, man. So, you know, it's just an honor to play for their son on stage, man. Uh, you know, he come from a musical family. You know, music is all, all around him. It's in him, man. Uh, but it, all of the kids that we have at Creative Soul, this talented, gifted uh, kids that I, I, you know, play with in the city. I, some of these students I play gigs with yeah, <laughs> in the city. Awesome. You know, they're older now. They, you know, moved on and going to college and stuff. Some of them are, you know, currently taking lessons. Some of them I, they, I might see them in the city. I'm, what are you doing there? I'm here with my mom and dad and so on, so on, so on, so And, you know, it's disappointing. And you get hear the kids do their thing on, you know, in a, in a different setting versus in the classroom. You get see them blossom and do their thing. Uh, so it's a beautiful thing, man, um, at Creative Soul Music Academy. We're located in the Berry Hill, uh, the Berry Hill area of Nashville, Tennessee, where a lot of the music studios uh, that people record at, like Blackbird Studio, mm-hmm. is right down the road from us uh, for Creative Soul Music Academy. Uh, literally within within a minute or two, the school board uh, building is right there. Metro mm-hmm. Nashville Public School. And we're like next door to Metro Nashville Public School, the school board. So we in connection. We we work with uh, the lead academy schools here in town. Uh, you know that's how I got the job with uh, Creative Soul Music Academy because they had an opportunity for me to teach drumline at Elite Academy School in uh, Nashville, in, in Madison, Tennessee, uh, Neely's Bend Middle School. And I started a drum line there in 2018. And, uh, we, you know, they we, uh, got them playing on Pearl Drums, who I'm currently sponsored with, uh, uh, an artist with Pearl Drums. And the kids, they did their, did their thing, man, that year, man. They surprised me, you know, because you're dealing with kids with different backgrounds. You know, kids, middle school kids going, you know, one day they could be all for it. And the next day they'd be all uh, being to something else. But they got it together, man, for that perform those performances that we had. I really, truly had a great time with them in 2018, working with Lead Academy, Neely's Bend. Uh, that was through, you know, me being um, employed with Creative Soul Music Academy, man. We were able to get into the charter schools, Lead Academy schools, and offer them uh, what we have at Creative Soul. And we're still, you know, uh, and in partnership doing those things uh, with Nashville, man. So, you know, we don't know where we're going to be uh, in the fall. Well, you know, there's, there's some things, there's talks. We're working on some things for the fall uh, to be doing. The With Creative Soul, is there a uh, recording studio component and or is there are there chances for these students to form groups, yeah. uh, form their own and, groups that are part of who's there? It, as long as they stay in contact with each other, they could. They mm-hmm. they actually could. And the funny thing about it, where I teach at downstairs is the music studio. Uh, the recording studio is in where the drum studio is. So literally, part of it is there, the big room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would call that room, I guess, room A or right. room B, B, mm-hmm. B studio. And then the recording studio is adjacent to it. Uh, uh, next to it downstairs where we have the computer and everything set up, Pro Tools and Machine, mm-hmm. all those things set up for them to record if you want to record piano or guitar or bass you can do that in that room or if you want to go in the big room because you want to see the the, the lights <laughs> you record in that room as well, we do vocals in that room as well when we're not doing drum set 
lessons. So Gerald does, you know, production uh, with different artists and different people uh, uh, throughout the year for in that in that space. So it is opportunity for them. And you just just, you know, they have to, you know, set up that time with Mr. Gerald and find out when it's going to be available. And it's always open for them to, you know, to do do so. But they have a chance to play along with each other kind of sort of man with the recital some of them play play along with the teachers mm-hmm. and then they want to form groups together it's, it's just a conversation man of them just talking to each other say hey man let's get together and do something uh do a recording or do a show uh and that's what we really we ultimately want them doing man anyway uh uh this doing those type of things to uh to advocate music and music education music performance live music uh uh here in Nashville and throughout the US that's great so let's go back to Fisk i'm curious about what was the um the timeline obviously 2020 was not the idea ended up not being the ideal year <laughs> to start in March. So how far in advance was I right? I, yeah, obviously you know, plenty to say there, but I'm, I'm curious how far in advance was the, was kind of the idea of bringing the band back? Like, well, how far back did, was this? I'm going to go far back, further back than 2019 when the idea came up, but in 2013, mm-hmm. I came to fish in 2012 uh, fall of 2012 uh, with the jazz ensemble. I was playing drum set with them. I got hired to be an adjunct lecturer and um, be over music education in 2013. Mm-hmm. 2013, there were talks of bringing a drum line to campus to boost the enrollment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, y'all, y'all can't be real. They said, nah, we're for real, professors, man. We're for real. We want a drum line. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, really? Do y'all got, do the school got money? And that's the first thing I asked. I said, it's going to take a budget, a nice size budget to do a drum line. I said, at least, at least talking in the round figures of like, you know, um, five to six figures. Oh, yeah. You're going to do that. And then have a facility to practice in. Then have. And a place to store all the stuff. (laughs) <laughs> uh what stuff is where's gonna be stored at uh are they getting scholarships to to play on the drum line you know i need to know all those things so that was 2013 2014 fast tracking to that i went on tour overseas uh i was in africa i was in south america and i got a call um while i was in south america in paraguay and they said hey Mr. Spann, we're definitely starting the drum line. We want to know where we can buy the drums from. I'm like, okay, y'all serious. You got a budget. I said, well, you can go to Forks Drum Closet. Shout out to Forks Drum Closet here in town. Five-star drum store, percussion, anything that you need. If you're in the Nashville area, reach out to Forks Drum Closet. Any of those guys are be able to help you. Alan Rice was very, has been very gracious and helpful. The educational uh, di- uh, specialist at Forks Drum Closet has helped me out a whole lot. Uh, so that year, I told I reached out to Alan Alan Rice at Forks Drum Closet, and we got a list together of things that we would need uh, at at Fish University. And we started there, 
And then they started to say, well, can we get some drums from, you know, that were used, whatnot? Uh, I said, we can, you know, make sure that all the drums are the same line of drums, the same color and all that. Yeah. We can do that. And, you know, Forks Drum Closet just really, really took took the, you know, put the icing on the cake. Because they, they gave me two different scenarios that we could pick from. And um, at the time, they gave me uh, Mapex drums and they gave me a set of a brand new set of Pearl drums. Those was two ideas. They said, which one you want to take? And, you know, school went with the Mapex deal at the, at the time. I wasn't endorsed with or Pearl at the time, but that's what we did. That's what worked for us. And we got those drums. 2014 fall, I started recruiting heavy. I would walk on campus to random students, say, hey, how you doing? I'm Professor Spann. Are you into music? Do you like drums? Do you want to learn how to play drums? Yeah. Or uh, uh, see me at 7 o'clock at Spence Hall in the game room. We're having a drum line rehearsal. If you're interested, we're having an interest meeting. And that's how I started recruiting for the program um, in 2014. From 2014 to 2019, fall to be exact, we had a marching drum line. They performed in the homecoming parade. Uh, they performed at uh, the basketball games on campus. They have performed for Hillary Clinton uh, when she was campaigning for presidency. They have performed for, you know, middle schools and elementary schools. Uh, throughout the year and for organizations, you know, business organizations here in the Nashville, Tennessee, uh, they perform for on campus. Uh, so from that time, from 20, 2014 to 2019, I was di- I was the director of the uh, marching drum line at Fisk. Uh, it was always talks from alumni. Are you going to ever add instruments? I said, well, if the school ever give me the funding, yeah. I will. Um, 2019, our new provost, now our current current president, uh, Dr. Van Newkirk, mm-hmm. had asked to start revamp the marching band. Mm-hmm. And, and the former president said yes. And sure enough, they had a meeting in 2019, and I got a call. I was coming on the way from uh, Lead Academy, Neely's Band, and I was coming on campus to, you know, take care of some things and teach some classes. And I got a call from my former uh, department uh, discipline chair. Dr. Archie called and said, I got some exciting news. Please call me. So I called him. He said, hey, we're going to start. I got some good news. It is exciting. We're going to start a marching band. <laughs> I was on the phone Laughing like, what? <laughs> really? Yeah. Y'all got the funding for this? The money to, you know, it's going to take, you're going to give scholarship to these students, right? You know, you got to buy the instruments, right? Immediately, Dr. Van Newkirk started buying instruments. He started promoting for the marching band. This was 2019. I went in the office one day to get something taken care of at his office. And the secretary was like, uh, you know, I need to see you. I, I, I come by the office. I took care of something and got it done. Dr. Newkirk was uh, something we had to sign off on. He had to sign off on. He said, Dr. Newkirk, Professor Spann is here. Professor Spann, come in. I came in. 
He said, hey, how you doing? How's everything? It's good, good. I got these instruments for y'all. And he had a whole <laughs> corner of instruments just lined up. And office? then he had like, bones lined up <laughs> on the top of the shelf. I looked at him like, you serious? <laughs> yeah. like, you see, he, he looked at me and said, I got these instruments for you. We're going to recruit them students. Get those students here. And, and auditioning to be on the marching band. I got you ready to come mm-hmm. on, you know, I, I got you ready. And after that, the rest is history. We started the marching band. Uh, the 2019 was kind of the pre-year of it. I started recruiting, had a couple of students that were freshmen and upperclassmen that were interested in playing in the marching band. So what I did that year, because we didn't have a pre-drill, uh, I had them play at the uh, end of the year winter concert. So we played a tune by uh, uh, Sounds of Blackness by uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, mm-hmm. Optimistic. And it was arranged by our jazz band director, Dr. J- uh, Gary Nash. So we played Optimistic was the last tune. But the first thing that we played, the drum line, played the drum cadence. They played, you know, of course, we got to have the drum line doing something. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got that. That was the first performance. We did a, a, a cadence called Suncoast. They like to play. So they played and did their thing and all that. And then we did Optimistic. You know, I played along with them. I love playing with my students, man. I, I still heavily perform throughout the city of Nashville. So I like to play drum set. I'll play along with them uh, to let them know that Span still got it. I still can play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I still play a whole lot in the city. So we did that in 2019, December. And everything was fine and dandy. It was going good. Got some things going on. I got my students playing. I had a couple of instrumentalists with the drum line. Great. 2020 came. January, we had another meeting about the marching band. And we were um, putting into play our assistant band director, identifying him. And we got him involved uh, more. Uh, and... We had a game plan, me and Mr. Brown, and we we still we're following that plan, but we're doing it, you know, virtually right now. And we had a game plan that we were going to recruit, travel, go to some high schools, kick some students, and 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 have a marching band program, do pre drill and everything in the fall. Mm-hmm. We're planning, and we're recruiting, and then we had a, a meeting. COVID nineteen hit the U.S. We had a meeting, and Provost Newkirk at the time said, "You know, we're gonna uh, students gonna be going home pretty soon. We we have to be safe and follow CDC guidelines." And to make a long story short, students had to go home. We had to teach online. So that means for us, recruiting was strictly online. Right, we couldn't travel nowhere. We were not allowed. I tried to go to a convention for band directors. I couldn't go. It got canceled. Yeah. Everything was just canceled. So we did a lot of virtual things, a lot of virtual um, uh, recruitment. Uh, and that was interesting, you know, learning that, like, you know, well, I said, well, how about we tell them to send some video recordings in? Uh, you know, how about we tell them to use uh, Skype? We tried Skype. We did that. That was cool. But we found that Zoom gave us more leadway. Yeah. 
with settings and stuff like we talked about earlier, you know, the original sound. Uh, and we recruited. We did what we needed to do. That was 2020. Uh, we managed to recruit over, you know, 20, 20 students, about 30 students. In 20, from 2019 uh, to 2020 was uh, kind of a transitional time for the marching band uh, at Fish University because of due to uh, talks of COVID-19 coming to the U.S. And, you know, that 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 December, they did a performance for our winter concert uh, from from winter going into the spring semester in 2020. Uh, we you know continue on marching band uh, and hybrid form in person and doing Zoom, um, and also having them to meet in person uh, uh, as well with our students. So transitioning to 2020 January uh, was kind of that transitional month for a lot of people for the whole entire world. Because we didn't know that this, you know, it was going to hit. For us in Nashville, we had a uh, catastrophic event that happened. We had a tornado that that hit here in Nashville. Uh, so, you know, January was kind of a month of, you know, uh, things going to be cool. It's going to be okay. We're starting the spring semester and students are meeting back. Basketball season was, was up. So I had the drum line playing at the basketball games. Uh, so that was my plan to have them playing at the game, at least had the drum line playing at the basketball games. And then the instrumentalists have them involved in performing at our spring concert uh, for, for that year, at least perform some marching band music, at least. Um, when February had hit uh, 2020, we had a tornado that hit here in Nashville. Mm. That shut down a lot of things, you know, for us. We could, you know, we had to go, and do school online virtually because of uh, the, the the debris and stuff that was by nearby North Nashville. Some people were without power uh, here in Nashville because of the tornadoes. And from that, it transitioned into us, you know, with COVID-19, we had a meeting about it that uh, we have to uh, go into virtual school like many other universities and colleges. Uh, so that, you know, after having our meeting about marching band and recruiting in January, we had a game plan for recruiting, how we was going to do that. Uh, that plan had changed. We couldn't travel in person to recruit uh, at different high schools. So we had to figure out a way uh, to use Skype and Zoom. And we put out uh, announcements on Facebook and Instagram and uh, utilize our social media platforms and word of mouth and calling band director said, hey, we have a marching band program and we have scholarships available. Um, any of your graduating seniors are interested in audition, have them submit a video submission or let us know a day that you want to um, audition via Zoom or Skype. So that's what we had to do uh, uh, during the, the 2020 school year. So we managed to recruit over that time from uh, the spring semester into the fall, uh, 30 students to the program uh, out of those 30 students uh, that that committed themselves to being a part of the March band program at Fish University uh, about 22 of them actively uh, participated uh, I had about 12 of those students were in person with me on campus uh, the, the the 11 that were left were um, in virtual uh, platform with zoom so you can imagine I'm doing band practice in person, but I have to be on my phone with Zoom showing them what we're doing. So you see students doing marching techniques mm -hmm. on 
on Zoom on, on my computer <laughs> doing about face, mm-hmm. uh, doing uh, marking time and place, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, doing a left flank mm-hmm. on on Zoom. So, you know, you're trying to teach this on Zoom and you're putting the camera down to your feet. I want you to point your foot toes like this and, and march this way. Uh, so that was a, you know, a, 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 a challenge. And, you know, if they didn't hear what we were talking about in the commands and blowing the whistle, uh, you know, a lot of times we wasn't blowing a lot of whistles. We was like, tweet, 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 tweet. So they can hear our voices uh, with the tempo and everything. So that that was a, a interesting thing, being outside with my phone, putting on a on a, a stand or a chair so they can see the drills and stuff that we were doing uh, for the performance. Because some of them did come, um, about one or two of them came in town. That was an interesting, you know, fall semester was real interesting to do uh, with our students in a hybrid form. And we managed to do a Facebook Live of their performance uh, you know, I started to work with another uh, uh, students who form our social media presence on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter uh, as well, because uh, that's the day and age we live in. And social media and content is king. So we've been putting pictures and videos and different things up, fundraising for the marching band program currently right now for scholarships and for operational budget as well. Uh, for the marching band. So a lot of it on my end has been logistics and business, uh, you know, seven days a week. <laughs> People say five days a week, seven days a week. I'm asking and talking to alumni. Before we got on this this call, I was talking to a former um, music student, uh, not of mine, but an older alumni that played on the band. And and uh, the history of march of of, of band at Fisk, they did actually have a, a marching band, but they were more so a pep band at the time. In 1971, uh, Robert Holmes formed a uh, pep band that played at the football games at at Fisk University. Yes, there was a football team at Fisk University in the 70s, and they played for that one year. Uh, they were in the stands, and you can imagine 1970s, man. You got disco, you got funk, you got soul, and playing all that stuff in the stands for the football games, man, um, and bringing in that school spirit. So that was 1971, 1972. They debunked in 1972, and they continued on the jazz ensemble and the orchestrated crowd, which is currently the jazz ensemble, uh, current day jazz ensemble at Fish University. So Bob Holmes. Uh, you know, I want to get pay homage to him. He's since has passed on um, back in 2000. But it, there's an article on him, things that he's done uh, in, in the music industry and things that he's done oh, uh, over the years before he passed. Man, I just got that article today that I'm going to post on Facebook, the former director of bands at Fist. Uh, but it was because of him, man. And many others, Dr. Gary Nash, who's a jazz ensemble director, uh, because of those guys, man, I'm able to do what I'm doing here at Fish University, um, you know, through, through music, man. Dr. Philip Archer, who's since passed as well, who was our former music discipline chair, saw the vision and he put it in my hands to uh, take it and run with it, man. And ever since then, I've been a part of the Fish University family since 2012. And, you know, currently, um, you know, director of bands at Fish University and carrying that vision on that Bob Holmes had 
that, you know, Philip Autry had, who's our department chair, and many others that, that paved the way over the years that was in the music, music discipline at Fish University, man. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I never don't take charge of, take ownership of something that I didn't just start by myself. But, you know, I, I just want to, you know, give them thanks for being there to support and paving the way for me. And then those who assist me, uh, such as my assistant band director, uh, Professor Marvellis D. Brown, uh, who's our uh, chief arranger uh, of the marching band. So a lot of things that, you know, I lean on to him towards for uh, for arrangements and helping out with recruitment as well. He's been doing an a, a awesome job. Uh, uh, helping us to recruit for the marching band along uh, with myself. But, you know, it's just, it's been an uh, interesting ride so far, uh, learning so much, you know, because I've been teaching percussion for a long time. But, you know, stepping in the, in the role of being director of bands uh, is a whole different thing, man. I've seen it. I was raised around it. But, you know, talking with my former director of bands, Dr. Sean Daniels and uh, Mr. Matt Geis, who was my high school band directors, they helped me to uh, really uh, navigate uh, the recruitment and how I'm going to operate the marching band program and also percussion, you know, with Dr. Daniels showing me things that I could do and pieces that I could play with my, uh, have my students learn, man. Uh, it's been a, a great ride. Just asking that advice and implementing that at Fish University, man. Uh, it's been been fun so far, man. Uh, still work ahead of me, uh, a lot of work ahead, uh, but I'm enjoying the journey uh, so far. Go a little bit into kind of the importance of Fisk as an institution, uh, its history, and also its musical history, which is also incredibly uh, influential and important. Man, Pete, you, you just put the cherry on top of that cake and icing. Man, Fish University, man, has a, a, a long history of music, man. Uh, it's because of the Fisk Jubilee Singers that Nashville is called the Music City. During the late 1800s, um, it's told, the story is told that Fish Jubilee Singers traveled all over the world. And one of the places that they traveled to was, you know, uh, they traveled to Europe. Uh, and they traveled to see the queen and then wanted to sing in front of the queen. They were invited to sing in front of her. And they sang and they did their performance and was told that she asked them, where are you from? They said, we're from Nashville, Tennessee, and from America, from the U.S. And she said, man, y'all sound so beautiful. You must be, you're, you must uh, be from a musical city. You, you have to be from a musical city. So they took that those words, those things, kind words that she said, and it took it with them. And the story goes that she considered Nashville the music city. So that's where the nickname Music City Nashville comes from is the Fish Jubilee Singers. Yeah. So over the years, man, because of the Fish Jubilee Singers, um, Fish University has been able to stay open al- uh, along with alumni and the city of Nashville and friends over the years that went to Fish University and friends that connected with Fiskites that donated uh, funding and, and money and uh, scholarships and endowments uh, to Fish University to stay open. Uh, but it was because of the Fish Jubilee Singers that Nashville is called Music City. I, I hadn't heard that. That's awesome. Well, and I, if I remember correctly, that, that they actually 
one of the reasons that they even became a it became a thing is because they were actually trying to save the university. Uh, I think of yep. financially, I was trying because the university yep. was in a hole. That's correct, and it was like, and that was actually their way to build funding was through the singers. That's correct. That's very correct. They they were um, raising money, raising funding. They were trying to keep the school, trying their hardest to keep the school home open through music, and they were singing and raising funding, man, raising money, and they achieved their goal. Obviously, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm at this university current day. So obviously their their achievements uh, of doing that has paved the way, man. They're celebrating 150 years mm. of being in existence. They recently won a Grammy uh, um, along with uh, Dr. Paul Kwame, who's the director over the Fist Jubilee Singers and uh, music producer, songwriter, Shannon Sanders, a, a good brother of mine. Uh, they work with on a couple of recordings and uh, compilation that they did at the Ryman Auditorium. And they put those things together into that album. And that album won a Grammy this year. So they're celebrating that currently right now. Um, and, you know, and that's just a big aha moment, a big moment for the university. Uh, and along with that, the marching band has been, you know, featured uh, on NPR, National Public Radio, and, you know, uh, worldwide. Uh, you know, we've been featured on other uh, radio stations uh, throughout the U.S. and also, you know, on online, online platforms uh, worldwide. Also, we've been featured on uh, in the Pride newspaper here in Nashville, Tennessee. And also I, I had an interview with NBC, um, MSNBC, uh, talking about uh, the National Museum of African-American Music, hmm. uh, whom I I've been working along with as an emerging artist, as a percussionist, uh, and as a uh, a ASO educator with National Music and African American Music or NAMAM. Uh, so I've been having a, uh, had a relationship with them prior to doing the interview. Uh, so they so, uh, uh, NBC reporter reached out to me, said, I want to interview you, uh, the director of bands at Fish University, and what black music means to you. Uh, so you can catch that on NBC and Google it. Uh, NAMAM, uh, NBC uh, interview uh, talking about the National Music, African American Music, they were opening, so they were doing a couple of interviews in the city uh, of people, uh, one of which was myself uh, being featured with NBC uh, with, that, with that interview, so that was a you know, great opportunity uh, to talk with them and talk about how music uh, is in, black music is important to me and my students as well uh, this was a big thing, man. It's way of life, man. It's way how we, uh, um, things that we do for me, when I hear certain songs, man, it reminds me of being on, uh, Ranger drive across South Carolina, growing up in cross South Carolina, small in the big city of cross South Carolina, but I went to high school, but I'm a native of Edie town, South Carolina. Uh, I'm, I say that proudly, man. It's a small town, rural area. But we had a lot of great things that came out of there, man, out across South Carolina. Uh, you know, uh, myself and uh, a cousin of mine that's in the in the league playing basketball. And then uh, another uh, uh, older classmate that was older than me, Rodriguez Wilson, who uh, went into the NFL, uh, played for the Chicago Bears for a couple of years. Now he's a coach uh, for, for college right now. So, you know, a lot of great things came out across South Carolina, man, where I'm from. Uh, small town, man, but a lot of greatness 
uh, engineers and educators and doctors and, you know, uh, of which came out of there, man. But it's a, just a beautiful thing, man, to just talk about what it means to me. Music saved my life, man. Uh, personal, personally, Pete, man, I come from a, a, a humble beginnings, man, uh, from a family that we're close. We're still close knitted, uh, the Span family. And my dad played drums in church. So that's what it comes from. Comes from my dad playing, see my dad play drums at, a, at an early age. I was like three, four years old. And I would see my dad get on drums in church and just play. So as a kid, I'm doing this mm-hmm. out of my head. My feet are swinging on the, on the pew and I gravitated to drums, man. Uh, it, it really saved my life, man. Uh, to be truthful, man. Uh, I was raised in a household for 14 years uh, with my mom and dad before my mom passed. My mom passed away in 2000 of liver cancer. And, uh, you know, from the age of 14 to 22, man, uh, we live in a household with just my father and my two other siblings, my older sister, Charmaine and, and Selena. We took care of each other, man. We literally took care of each other. We looked out for each other. We made sure I was the driver chauffeur of the family i got uh, my license the first in the house to get my driver's license so when they they needed things when they go to the store get food i was driving them around go to the mall skating rink all of that but i i saw that you know at that time i was a leader at that time when i was a teenager my dad would always tell me son you you you're the man of the house when I'm going, you're the man of the house. And he always instilled that in me. But I saw then that I had leadership skills. Um, you know, I didn't really understand it all. But, you know, I saw that, oh, I can sort of lead, lead some things in this life. Um, I'm going to be a leader somewhere, something. I don't know where. <laughs> but, but I'm going to be a leader somewhere. But, you know, uh, being around that, um, around my family, and, and, and being a a major patriarch uh, in the family along with my father and my uncles uh, keeping the family together man that helped me to show show me that it's not all about me but it's about supporting others as well man and that's what I do at Fish University I support my my students and their music ventures of them being part of the marching band or if they're into engineering or into music industry if they're not a part of the marching band I give them pointers on being a part of the music industry. Uh, and I love to do that because you get to see them flourish into who they are. You know, I have students that I taught at Tennessee State. They're just, you know, sometimes, some days I want to cry, man, because they, they took my advice <laughs> and they ran with it, man. Yeah. They asked, listen to what I said. You, you don't think so, Pete. When you talk to your students, you, you see them walking around on campus, then they come to practice or they... They practice sometimes, and sometimes they don't practice. And you know, and then you see those students graduate, and next thing you know, you see them on a magazine cover, or see them on a on MTV, mm-hmm. on on NBC or something, on the TV show, or playing on the Grammy Awards, or playing on uh, VH1 or something, or MTV Awards. You're like, man, I told him that. What? <laughs> and it's, it makes my heart smile, man, yeah. when I see them doing things in the music industry uh, are teaching music, man, and they're doing great things, man. I'm going to grad school. Uh, All those things and just make me smile that what I was teaching them, they actually were listening. 
to what I was telling them to do. Uh, so that maybe not maybe not that day, but they but they, it got in there. Some, yeah, but some not point. that day, but yeah. but eventually when yeah. I see that that team, what I t- was telling them to do years ago, <laughs> they, 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 they they it just it makes my heart smile. And when they come back to me, Prof. Span, thank you for telling me not to be not to dress not to be looking like I was chilling in my room to look presentable because they helped me to get the job where I am right now. I said, yeah, you got to look presentable, man. You know, you're presenting yourself as a business professional. So, you know, you're walking into your career. You're not just going to class. You're in your career. You're just learning the tools, learning skills to get into it. Yeah. Which is very important. Play the part, look apart. And and tell me where in, I sort of have some, some knowledge of where stuff is in, in South Carolina, but where, where was, where is your, uh, your home city? In the oh state? man. I, I love that question right there. Pete, that's a great question, man. Now <laughs> South Carolina would be, uh, I went to school in Columbia, South Carolina, which is mm-hmm. the capital yep. of South Carolina. I'm, I'm an alum, alum of Benedict college. So it would be literally East of Columbia. And uh, to make it more exact, I was born in Charleston, South Carolina. Everybody knows this is the coast. Right. Where the Atlantic Ocean is, man, like, you know, near Savannah. Uh, so, you know, if you go to Charleston, South Carolina, and you go west of South uh, of Charleston, South Carolina, about 45 minutes mm-hmm. to, to about an hour, yeah. you'll be in, like, Cross and Munts Corner and St. Stephen, mm-hmm. that area. You go there, you're very nearby, about 20 minutes away. You keep on going to the rural area, man. You'll be right there and cross South Carolina. You cross over that division bridge, Canal <laughs> Bridge. You'll be in Edytown, South Carolina. And Edytown was a small town where Indians were, like the native Indians, man. One of the last, uh, I forgot what, what Indians were, it was, but, you know, my family has Indian uh, uh, in them. We have Indian blood. Mm. Uh, but like the last, one of the last little rural areas where they have an Indian village, was in Edie Town, South Carolina, the history of it. But it's it's, it's about 45 minutes, 50 minutes from Charleston South, Charleston, South Carolina, west of Charleston. Tell me a little bit about, now that I know a little bit more about your, your family background and some of the church stuff, but what was the, what was your um, school music stuff like? What, what was that? Man, were you doing, were you doing band at that point as well? I was. When okay. I was, by the time, when I when I had turned like ten years old, man, before ten, I was playing drums in church. I was playing drum set in church at age of six, man. Age of six, I was playing hand drums, congas, bongos, drum set in church. By the time I turned ten years old, man, uh, I decided to join the concert band uh, at my elementary school, Cross Elementary School. Uh, shout out to Cross Cross Elementary School. Uh, each day, I do my best. I'm important. I'm special. I am somebody. Uh, uh, you know, the Cross Elementary uh, gave me an opportunity, man, to be in the concert band. My my band director was Mr. Matt Geis, the second. Mr. Geis was the hippest, coolest band director I ever known <laughs> in my life. He was the type of band director that would teach you all the fundamentals of playing the music, he showed you how to write calligraphy, how to write treble clef, bass clef, 
how to write quarter notes and what the, the notes were. And, uh, so I knew what those notes represented. Um, and I knew how to read rhythms. He taught us how to read rhythms and everything. Uh, so at that time, at 10 years old, I was learning rudiments. I was learning how to be, read syncopations, um, learning what was a dotted quarter note, what was a dotted half note. And, uh, those things I learned, man, uh, in elementary school. Our small town marched, um, students marched on the band at 12 years old. Okay. So, um, with our small town, our middle school was kind of integrated into our elementary school and our high school. Uh, so elementary school went from, uh, at the time when I was in school, from pre-K to sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And the high school, which is like divided into, cat- into academies now, went from seventh grade, it still does now, from seventh grade to twelfth grade. Yep. Uh, so sixth grade, I graduated from sixth grade from Cross Elementary School, transitioned to the high school. Seventh grade, at 12 years old, I was playing snare drum on the marching band and playing tritoms <laughs> on, on the marching band. At the time when they had tritoms with right. the thing. So you can, uh, I'm not, you know, uh, I, I ain't going to tell my age today. I'm not old, but you know, right. I just had a birthday. But we yeah. played tritoms, man. So that was a gang right there. Yeah. Uh, that was 1998, man. 1998 playing tritoms, man, at Cross High School. Did the tritoms weigh more than you did? Yeah, they were very heavy. (laughs) (laughs) I was a little guy, man. So, you know, in that, uh, the section leader of the drum line at my high school was my cousin. Hmm. I'm going to tell you how small the town was. A lot of the people that was on the band was either my cousin or my father's side. Um, nine times out of ten, my cousin on my mom's side of the family. And the section leader was my cousin on my mom's side of the family. He knew me mm-hmm. from in, in church around town. Yeah. So I automatically had an end yeah. to the drum line. Play cymbals. I played cymbals like for one practice. Mm-hmm. And he said, nah, put those down. You're playing, you're playing snare drum. My dad was a, a alum of Cross High. Mm-hmm. So they knew him. They knew my dad. My dad played drums in church, and they'd be like, "Oh shoot, that's Thomas. That's that's uh, that's Mr. Span. That's Sergeant Span. He he played drums on you know in, in church. His son plays drums, so he surely can play drums. So I played snare drum a little bit, but they eventually put me on tri times because they saw me playing hand drums. Yeah. in church, I had fast hands. Mm-hmm. So from seventh grade to like you know partly eighth grade, I played tri times. I transitioned into playing snare because uh, I was much better. I could play both. I could play anything, but I was real much better with snare drumming. And at the time, they wanted me to be a leader <laughs> in eighth grade. They wanted me to be like a leader, like showing the other people that were seventh grade to do things, man. Uh, but, you know, Mr. Geis made it very fun, along with the community of Cross South Carolina, they made it fun marching band. You know, our marching band was show band style. We did hip hop and R&B. Yep. And Mr. Geist would always implement a uh, march a march tune, a marching tune that was non-R&B um, or pop. So we would do things like, you know, along the lines of John Philip Sousa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, some type of march song that we would do. Like Ben Bases or something like that. Or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He would make do those songs, man. Right. You know, we had to do it. And then we would get back to the R&B and all yeah. that hip-hop. 
Uh, the stuff that was out at that time was like Lauren Hill, and, uh, mm-hmm. 702, SWV, yeah. uh, Juvenile, Cash mm-hmm. Money. Oh, yeah. Uh, e, all that stuff was out. So we were playing this, this master <laughs> being all that stuff. Right. The band, you know, so you can imagine. Kids A band of 12-year-olds are playing, you know. Playing Juvenile. No limit. <laughs> the no limit. Catalog. Playing Lauren Hill. Right. Uh, and I remember the first year we, we I played on the band. We played a Lauren Hill tune, um, um, doo mm-hmm. and then we played a song, a well-known song at the time in 1998. Usher, you make me want to do the relationship. That was my part on That's all I had to play. It was so, so nice, man. And the roots were big at the time. Mm -hmm. Much love. Yeah. So I would play, we would put the hi-hat, the crash cymbals together as Mm hi-hats and hold it for me. And I would play that, uh, that drum beat that he played with uh, on You Got Me. I would play that, you know, for them. We would battle each other like two was faster. Mm-hmm. I'll see who can play better. Thomas, can you play that part at Quest Love? So mm-hmm. I play that part. They put the hi hat symbols, the, the hi hat makeup hi hat symbols together. Yeah, and I play Washington's name. But that was real fun, man. During those times, man, because a lot of people played drum set <laughs> on the yeah. Washington. Like everybody played drum set, so they would have a thing, man. And and the funny thing, some of the drum set players were my cousins, mm. and I'm talking about like bloodline cousins. Yeah, because yeah. my grandmother. Um, it was like you know, like an aunt, a cousin of theirs. Mm-hmm. So um, like, hey man, I heard that you can play drums better than than so and so, and so and so was my cousin. Right. They were talking trash about. Yeah, yeah, of course. And come back to me. I heard that you say you play drums better than me. You okay. faster than me. You ain't faster than me, man. I've been doing this longer than you. <laughs> so we would have those those little those friendly little beefs and friendly little things. And you know, uh, and I, I see them when I go home and I see them on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And they like, man, you really doing your thing, man. You took the drumming thing to another level. You actually do it professionally for a career. Mm-hmm. Like, we're really proud of you, man. Like the ones that were talking trash and all yeah. that. It like my 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 Facebook posts when I'm playing drums. All of that, man. But, you know, marching band for us at, in Cross South Carolina was a big thing. It was a big thing, man. We were like one of the number one band um, at one time. We got we got superior ratings mm. at Cross. You know, that's how good we were. Like, we were very enthusiastic about band. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, we would make up different little skits and different dance routines and mm-hmm. different things, guys. And we just, you know, had fun. We had fun. Mr. Geis really, you know, uh, advocated for us, man, in the city of across South Carolina. And he took us to the band competitions that were uh, that were outside of just the norm battle bands. But we would go to these competitions and battle bands of a core style, or mm-hmm. band, you know, show band style. He exposed us to that. Mm-hmm. He exposed us to DCI, Drum Corps International. Uh, I would pride myself on drum and bugle corps. I would watch it on on ETV. I would tape it. Mm-hmm. We had VHS. Yeah. I would put a blank VHS tape in, and I would record 
drum and bugle corps, DCI, Blue Doubles, Cadets. Mm-hmm. My favorite group was the Cadets and the Madison Scouts. Mm-hmm. So I would take that and I would bring these drumming ideas to the drum line. So yeah. I would do the backs, all that stuff to our cadences. Yeah. All that stuff, man, I would put into our cadences, man. Uh, I would write, I used to write cadences mm-hmm. at my high school. <laughs> That's how I knew. And 11th grade and 12th grade, I knew I wanted to be an educator mm-hmm. when I started writing music. I had an interest. Um, so at the time, I wasn't like kind of gun ho on it or like kind of uh, really keen on, oh, I want to be a band director. But it was in me. That was something that I wanted to, to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, I was taking AutoCAD drafting. <laughs> I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted mm-hmm. to be a mechanical engineer, but a part of me wanted to continue on music. Yeah. And I remember having a conversation in my 12th grade year, and without any doubt in my mind, I told my band director, he said, what do you want to major in when you go to college? Music education. He looked at me and said, really? You got to be lying to me. No, I'm not lying, Mr. Guys. I want to be a band director like you. Mm-hmm. Sure enough. Me and my, my homeboy became band directors. He directed the band at Cross. He, you know, he came back and helped out our high school. I moved away. You know, after I graduated Benedict, man, I moved away to Nashville at 22. And the rest is history. Mm-hmm. I've taught at a couple of HBCUs and, mm-hmm. uh, and taught at a community college. And, you know, I got my experience, got my feet wet that way and taught teaching in Metro Nashville public schools as a substitute teacher. And as a clinician in percussion, those were some interesting years, uh, you know, 2010, 2012, man, uh, my development years, you know, you, you never stop learning. You never stop learning. Man. But the marching band across South Carolina was the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the it thing. It was the, it, it was the normally when you're in band at schools, Kids are seen as, uh, oh, they're the nerdy kids, smart kids. Right. At Cross, you were the cool kids if you yeah. went to Mars. You know, I, when you were telling me about the your band director it, pl- making you all play like Sousa stuff, you know, the, the thing about that is that it's like the percussion stuff is whatever, like it's fine. It's that, mm-hmm. but it's super beneficial for the wind players because, <laughs> like, Very like beautiful. the low brass parts are really hard and really uh-huh. like if you play trombone, yep. that music is actually amazing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he was big on that, and yep. the book used uh, for percussion for band was uh, Bruce Pearson, uh, Standards of Excellence. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and he utilized that book for like fundamental things, and he would pull mm-hmm. out pieces. Here's a part. Mm-hmm. Here's a ball. We would play Jingle Bells and for Christmas mm-hmm. concert. Um, uh, I remember in high in middle school we put played Good Kings Whistleist and all of those different things. Man, we played uh, in concert band. But in every time there was a timpani part, mm-hmm. everybody looked at at me. Thomas, you play the timpani part. You know how to read music. <laughs> I said, y'all lazy man. Y'all want to. <laughs> So I knew how to read notes. Like yeah, yeah. I, in class, I knew what was E and D and mm-hmm. A, where that was at. So I would tune my temper. I would go to the tubers. Hey, give me an E flat. Give me an A. Mm-hmm. And they play 
and I, I, I just, you know, tuned from the tubas, man, because they were tuning. You know, I already had tuned their instruments. Yeah. Uh, you know, prior, Mr. Guys was real stickler about being in tune. Like, he would stop the band. Like, no, mm-hmm. tune up right now. I yeah. need to hear the B-flat scale. Let me hear you B-flat. And he would have that big tuner mm-hmm. plug into the wall. Yep. And red screen is good like this. Yep. And then when it gets to the middle, mm-hmm. that means, you know, yeah. you know, what we consider, you know, A440. Right. It, yeah. it was middle. <laughs> we into mm-hmm. it. If it wasn't, whoo! It's like, uh-uh, pull your slide out. Yeah, yeah. Come on, class. Readjust. Horn players, readjust. He's real stickler about that, man. Real stickler. I, I, I never forget those years being with Mr. Geis. Never forget. We will give you the rest of our interview with Thomas Spann Jr. next week, so stay tuned. This week's rave is two specific bits of media that are about the late, great pro wrestler, Rowdy Roddy Piper. The first is the 2005 autobiography, In the Pit with Piper, which he co-wrote with Robert Piccarello. And the second is the recent A&E Channel WWE Legends documentary about him. The autobiography provides a good and realistic account of his life up through the mid-2000s. Should be noted, Piper died in 2015. The book contains a lot of great backstory about some of the wrestlers he came up with and learned from, and the life and times of a young man coming from a challenging childhood trying to make it on his own in a truly odd profession. The writing style captures a lot of his mannerisms and his talking style relatively well. What's most impressive and captivating from the book was a chapter called The Sickness where he gets pretty graphic and specific about what kind of mindset one frequently has to take to both make it and maintain one's own sanity in professional wrestling. He details what is physically difficult about getting prepared in an entertainment sport and how it really destroys the bodies of those who do it, let alone their minds. We get into a bit in his personal life, but not too much. Honestly, the book was decent, but not great. The documentary, though, was fantastic. One of the major benefits with this documentary is that it's done with full cooperation of both World Wrestling Entertainment and his family. So we get all of the footage of the man in action. He was one, if not the greatest talker in pro wrestling history. He was completely in your face, And frequently and strategically awful to people. Because he figured out that that was how he was going to make it in the industry. He loved playing the villain and enjoyed every professional minute of it. Not surprisingly though, that took a toll on his life, particularly on his family. And one of the other great aspects of this documentary is that his wife and three children, all of whom are grown up, tell the private side of his story. Piper made it clear that he wanted to keep his family out of his professional life, and he was generally able to do that. However, because he was one of the most famous hated men during the 1990s and 1980s, 
It still didn't prevent his children from being teased or bullied or yelled at in their schools growing up. Nor did it prevent having random strangers come by, find their house, and surveil it or trash it. As much as he could, he was home when he was able to, but at his height, he was wrestling and on the road 300 days a year. He's acknowledged, along with the children, that it was his wife, Kitty, who kept everything all together. Posting a ton of great performance footage in and out of the ring, and lots of wonderful interviews with family, friends, and fellow wrestlers. Check out the book, but really check out the film. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next week for part two with Thomas Spann Jr. Until then.